They told me everybody's 15 minutes in a different time zone And since I have it at the moment, you the one I wanna shine my light on Get your life, get your life what up good people greetings 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 hello this is off the record uh my name is adam bean i am your host for this episode uh we took an extra little week off uh but we are back to our regularly scheduled program uh with uh the normal cast of characters plus some new additions and whatnot so uh again my name is adam bean you can hit me up on twitter so i can ignore you at a d a n b e a n uh and you can also hit up my homie my partner uh what's going on dan duncan yeah twitter at dan dunk uh also generally hit the uh ignore button (laughs) unless you have something profound to say which there have been a few more recently oh yeah that i feel like we've like shook off some of the more like ignorant like you guys said a cuss word in the <laughs> podcast that's not on the radio and i'm not the fcc <laughs> that i chose to listen we ignore to. those people that's probably what happens generally yeah. we listen to people that have good points that's true yeah yeah but you can also just always hit fourth district like the that handle and right we pay someone to handle yeah that, that, that person somebody will listen. Yeah, listen. whoever that is will listen but um but yeah man and um also we are joined by a, a writer emeritus uh. <laughs> For real? This is rude. All types of shots fired. No, literally the one who, uh, by transitive property, raises our Mensa scores. Uh, Corin, he's here. Corin, hello. How are you? I'm good. Yes. I'm good. <laughs> I want to make all the jokes. Now that weekend. I know I'm fired. <laughs> no, you have tenure here. You've you been yeah. longer than 90% of people are <laughs> And we pretty much only bring it up because when you write, we get such a profound reaction from everyone. Like, like, oh, oh my, smart oh my there. gosh, they're smart people. And this was amazing. And this was funny. And it made me laugh. And why doesn't, why isn't there more like this? And I'm like, cause there's only one corn Reed, And like, that's just what that is. But thank you thank for you. being here. Thank you. And yeah. you can hit me up at, at Corinne Reed and I will respond. There it is. Unless you're a troll. Then <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, we were, we were talking a little pre-production, uh, you uh have not been in the domestic united states all the time for the last month yeah yeah i've spent some time in scotland yeah dang yeah my company's based there that i work for so it's pretty fun (sighs) i wouldn't have come back (laughs) (laughs) in scotland yeah just just chilling like doing well you were working but yeah is it in edinburgh are you in edinburgh edinburgh awesome that is what's up also found out in addition to being um you know uh what was it top 30 under 30 that's right she sleeps on the lead consistently yes absolutely in in forbes magazine she was also i found out uh in fortune magazine as well as wall street uh journal like she's she's out here and we're just happy that she came down here <laughs> right, right. To, to hang with us or whatever. Just glad so. I'm not fired. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things, like that's the one that you're like holding on to. In ten years, we'll look back on the history of Fort District and firing, <laughs> never firing you, will be the smartest thing we've ever done. The one smartest smart decision thing. we right, made. Right. In addition to that, we also, uh, man, we have a guest uh, podcaster with us. Uh, I am so happy. This is like my sister from another mister. I've known her for so many years and I'm just happy. We'll we'll continue to get into all the reasons why you're here. But for right now, we just want to say hello and shout out and welcome to Off the Record, 
Miss Amina Brown, how are you? Yo, I'm doing great. I feel so fancy. Right? <laughs> really? <laughs> like this off the record is making me feel fancy. Really? Like we're, like we're in here, like it's like a slight sway situation. A in slight here. Sway. <laughs> it's like a slight sway. You're I'm real happy citizen. about it. Yeah, I'm happy to be a part. <laughs> we are so happy to have you. So, like, it's. I mean, for people who don't know. Can you give us like a 30 second pitch of Amina Brown uh, and like how you uh, fit into the world of arts and creativity and black girl magic and all the other things that you are uh, chicken fried chicken provider. Wow. Okay. Whoa. Wow. So much. Yes. So much. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I wake up black every day. That's true. And uh, I am a spoken word poet and an author and also an event host mm. so i host open mics all the way to conferences which yeah. is fun i basically talk for a living so yeah. it's nice yeah and you travel <laughs> like all over the country and world doing all of these things yes and so but atlanta is home atlanta is home and i love my city yes i i are great poets that i put on for my city. <laughs> that's what that is what uh prophet jeezy told us and uh i agree with the man with the snowman uh, <laughs> please, please with the snowman I, I am also at amina b and i agree with corinne if you're not a troll i can at least like your post there it is I, so i'm sort of in between you might not get ignored right you might not get a response okay but i will just put the little heart there to say i see you i, I heard you i acknowledge you you have dignity yeah. <laughs> you, yes. you are made in the amago your, day your voice is important you're kind you're smart <laughs> <laughs> somebody that's what's up um but no yeah we're, we're definitely gonna i'm so happy you're here we're definitely gonna um talk about uh this upcoming book that you have it uh, should be stated real quick though that the fourth fan has seen her husband on multiple occasions as is he true. is one of the best djs in atlanta that is also Show true and, and uh been at uh, multiple fourth district events absolutely uh, used to, to, to back us up absolutely held us down uh on the uh now defunct creative conversation <laughs> <laughs> any of shows ideas typically these djing moments here's the thing though we we give show grief about it but they're all really dope and fire ideas that's like, the they're problem. All, <laughs> like they're all amazing it's like oh that's a success but then show moves he on literally i'm putting his business out of Street. He literally hit me up today with another idea of something. I'm like, bro, we are three episodes into a very successful YouTube show. We need to continue this pattern of consistency and not trying to revolutionize the world in in like literally three episodes and moving on. It's just too much uh, ambition and talent for for one body he is. Uh, with only 24 hours in the day. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but nonetheless, though, yes, uh, DJ Obdiggy definitely uh, held us down uh, at that event and and others. Just I I drag him along for all of my creative mm -hmm. events and whatnot and what have you. Uh, oh, but I'd also be remiss though too if I didn't say that while this is Amina's first appearance on Off the Record, it is not her first show up to the rodeo on Fourth District. Sure, because <laughs> with all that movement, she also came through for a very early infantile stage first spins review That's of mars right. for mars for yes. album oh my gosh that we like skype people in back yes. then <laughs> we couldn't record multiple audio feeds at that point it was in time dark so ages. Like, totally. call in we'll record the skype the google hangout oh my gosh yeah yeah yeah, and sure. we all tried to butter that album up because we didn't want our first album review to be negative but we all kind of were like it's it's cool I mean, <laughs> life is hard. It was cool. Life is hard. There it is. I mean, it's. 
I, I don't even remember what I said. I don't feel like any of us lied at all. No, no, it, no. It just, we, we kept it 100. Yeah, we were honest. It was just very much like, what are we doing here? This is new yeah. ground. What are we saying? And how I do we tell people very they're... tender? I remember <laughs> feeling tender. <laughs> yes, I, remember you, I remember you specifically. I felt very tender, like... <laughs> You're so I sweet. love that she is doing <laughs> this, and I yeah. support. Yeah, I just I felt very. T- there's a lot of you, tender feelings. You are a very tender person. Yeah, there I do. Is. I do. There a lot of tenderness until you piss you off. Until well, one pisses you off. <laughs> well, I'm and, in my thirties now. <laughs> I, I am transitioning into old black auntiehood. So let us not play. There it is. <laughs> Man, well, yes. Nonetheless, all that was a roundabout way of saying thank you, Amina, for being here with us. And um, yeah, we're just gonna talk off the record about a bunch of topics that we're uh, supremely unqualified to discuss. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's what we do here, okay? Because okay? okay. uh, we're gonna be authoritative about all of our. All because of our anyone is authoritative at this point in time. Pretty much. Pretty much. Nah, no one clears their sources. <laughs> no. no one is using two sources anymore. So yeah. we just can't beat them jointly. We can't right, and, but I will say the thing about like being like authoritative and like there's a difference between being authoritative and then being concerned about authoritarian rule, which is what we are talking about with this first topic. Essentially, is there was a vice doc that you sent uh, kind of through the Slack world of Fort District for us to talk about. Uh, do you want to you want to handle that, Dan? Sure. What was this? Yeah. No. So. Um, it's sad because Vice got bought by HBO and so <gasps> I don't get to watch Vice anymore on my TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I so know. I have to now wait for videos to pop up on my feed on YouTube. Oh. But today that happened, which is why people got uh, this link because so I was watching Vice on YouTube and the next video, you know, right after you finish the video, it's like plays the next one. And it was white supremacists in, or no, sorry, militia group in Georgia, mm-hmm. and they, they. It felt very much like the ISIS documentary that they were doing. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. It's my home state. Yeah, I believe in conspiracy and I own weapons. How, how similar am I to these people I'm about to watch? <laughs> I'm concerned on some level, but also intrigued. And it was 25 minutes of backwoods Georgia. Mm. Lots of cigarettes and alcohol and firearms. There's a lot of that. What was interesting, so just, you know, to, for a temperature of the room, I think Dan and I both saw this uh, this Vice app. Uh, Corin, you've not seen it. Amina, you've not seen no. it. Doesn't prohibit you from weighing in, <laughs> as I said, authoritatively about these topics. This is great. Because the thing is, like, being here in, like, you know, we all live in Atlanta, but we all whether we were born and raised here or we moved here, we came to a very quick, soon understanding that Atlanta is an island in Georgia. Yes. (laughs) There is a lot more Georgia than there is Atlanta. Uh, Not just land real estate wise, but culturally, this is uh, the truth. And so we've all, whether or not you saw this doc, you've seen this mentality or you've mm-hmm. seen or had some experience with it i'm sure so i'll, I'll give the just real quick summary mm-hmm. summation of the doc so the, the doc's about the three percenters which is basically they take their name from uh the three percent of people who fought in the revolutionary war believing that that were militias that were that were raised up to fight the english in the revolutionary war so they, this is somewhat of an it, it's a disputed as to whether or not that's a actual true percentage but that's, that's the, where they derive that's where they derive from. the name is that the the thinking is that it is a very small amount of people who actually defend 
the freedoms and rights of the larger group of people. And yeah, right. Continue. So they draw a, a direct line from the Revolutionary War to themselves, saying militias are kind of at the history and the core of who America is. So of course we must con- carry on that tradition. And ironically, it's in Henry County, which it's not the backwoods of Georgia. Like right. we could we could drive there in thirty minutes. Uh, and get yeah. to where the majority of this militia was from or is from. And it's a splinter of, so the three percenters, there's like a thousand splinters of the three percenters. This happens just to be like one group of like 12 or 15 individuals who are basically training for the, for like the fallout of whether it be military invasion or our own government kind of um, taking away quote unquote our rights mm-hmm. on various levels or but, domestic terrorism itself. They are prepared to fight, fight against, against that as well too. Mm-hmm. So For sure. Yeah. And, and they would claim to be fair to them that, you know, it's not racially motivated, mm-hmm. um, that they would draw a distinct line between them and like hate groups. Um, but that they really feel like they're defending the constitution and defending the right to bear arms. Essentially it should be noted. The Southern, poverty law center has classified them as a hate group like they are listed with the government as such and there's a part portion of the documentary in which the supreme commander or whatever title General, he's given himself given yeah it. it's, <laughs> it was it's the, the, at one point in time like one of the late girls that's part of this group was like is the general awake yet yeah. and it was just like this very like gross <laughs> moment of like he's not the general of anything it's 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 very it's very fascinating and bizarre but yes uh they there there's a part of that documentary in which they explicitly say like you know that's bullshit like we're not you know terrorists or da 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 um he uh joined this and i guess ascended in the ranks during the uh uh presidency the of rain. B- the reign of barack hussein obama because oh, he's very very clear about bless. his full name um there but um there's some other interesting parts that come out just that like um you know we want, they they run, they basically meet every other week or weekend essentially and they hold like pt and training drills and like they do shooting exercises and and all types of um you know explosives and work out like okay how would you set up a roadblock in the event of a zombie apocalypse i don't know like it's they they are prepared for everything like they they essentially are talking through all these items heavily armed all of them um and to be and just to provide some more information about the makeup mostly white male of a certain age however there are there are younger aged uh white men and white boys but there is there is one black man who uh is shown often because oh, be- because he's the only one because he is, is the okay. one that's there and there i think there were two women but one woman was very much prevalent in the dot she drank the kool-aid <laughs> she very much did and she had her and all of them essentially bring their like try to bring their children around too because they want them to see how you should protect yourself and whatever what have you um uh just to kind of cut towards the end of it because i want to get more to the commentary part of it as opposed to explain the documentary uh two other main factors the point is that he is married to a uh an asian woman 
Okay. The 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 man that centers and leads this chapter the, of the, the general. The general. Mm, okay. Yes, who mm. was asleep for too long. Mm. Uh, he is married to an Asian woman. They have they have two, two kids. kids. Uh, and um, that is often used as like a buffet to say, hey, I'm you know I'm not racist. Like clearly I'm you know multicultural. Uh, it is the old uh, John Mayer defense of having a Benetton penis, uh, whatever <sighs> he said in that oh, terrible dear. quote. But nonetheless, uh, there. And then the other thing I would say is that the thing that often gets talked about is that it, Charlottesville, which served as a backdrop for this documentary, um, one of the gentlemen who was uh, part of that mob that beat that the black teenager, um, Michael Ramos, mm-hmm. Ramos or whatever. He was once a member of this, this is, chapter. Wow! And um, they both have very, they both have differing versions as to why he he's no longer out. there. Yeah. He, the general, is saying he was kicked out. My Ramus is saying I left because you know yada yada yada. But nonetheless, there is a tie to terrorism. There is a tie to domestic you know, terrorism, domestic terrorism, and 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 what whatever what have you. Which was surprising that Vice didn't really. They could have done made that point far more explicit it could have um and it was interesting that they kind of made it and they were like moved on i I was actually like from a journalistic perspective like the dude was no longer part of their group it wasn't they made the point and then they moved on but yeah so yeah i don't know it's i just thought it was fascinating um and again we can we can open this up there's other parts of it recently we talked about how uh kind of the independent uh uh uk uh website they 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 covered the story about a US military considers there was a survey done that they consider white supremacism as greater threat than ISIS um wow. you know like when they were polling their own the military polling themselves like it was like when you had to talk through what is a greater concern to the life uh in the United States it tended to be these white right wing groups uh, more than you know what you would find in what we tend to see in what in episodes of Homeland and things like that, right? Sure. Um, and so yeah, it's just kind of fascinating. But I think Dan, as the resident white man on this podcast, um, I'm gonna speak for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Let me speak for my my white race. <laughs> so, but no, you you are you are a gun owner. I am. Uh, so you believe in this the the Second Amendment. I do to yes. an extent. Okay, we'll talk about that to some degree. And you, uh, you know, anyone familiar with the podcast knows that you take a drink whenever Dan mentions V for Vendetta. He is clearly tied to conspiracy theories. The off-record drinking game. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but man, like when you watch this, like what were, what were your thoughts? Like, I mean, I know that like, I, I don't know, like, did you see? How like did you see value in their stance in their stance and even more so like did you see did you see like not just value in their stance but did you see like hey um uh kind of some empathy with regards to like there this is understandable in these days and times why why they are functioning this way so i so I will say yes um I empathize with them in the sense that I feel like they, the fear that motivates them is real to them. Okay. 
And I think people do really crazy things when they are, are living in fear of a very like imminent thing. And so they can see what are, sh what are shadows, they can see enemies. And so I think it's a real thing in the sense that they understand it and they're doing what they feel like is, is how they can best prepare for this imminent, you know, takeover of our government in some form or fashion mm -hmm. uh, that is coming. I, I think they're wrong. I mean, I think, I, I believe that we, I think all people should be prepared I do believe that as a as a as an entire people, not white, black, like as an entire people, I do think that we would be better that we should know how to bear arms okay. as a general like understanding. I think that it's like driving a car. Mm. I think that guns exist and that you should understand how they work. Got you. Just like I don't drive a stick. But I know how to drive a stick. Gotcha. Given the situation that I would need to know how to drive a stick. Yeah. So, and yes, if you wanted me to sound, start sounding crazy, I could go <laughs> off a little bit more into my prepperness of like, <laughs> I do think that, that some crazy things could happen in this I world. Understand. And I do think that we should be prepared to protect our families. Yeah. Do I think that uh, uh, Ob Obama is like this like terrorist? No, mm -hmm. I don't right. think that. Right. Um. I didn't vote for him, but I think he actually had general, like, he was actually a good president. Mm -hmm. And we are now seeing how great of a president he actually was. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do, I mean, I do think that um, these people are living in fear, and so they're doing what they deem right to prepare for that. Yeah. I think it can cross a line quickly into going from a defensive standpoint, preparing to taking action which then we would very much disagree on yeah. where they stand. Yeah, I, can, I understand that. Like, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying in with regards to how you, how you can kind of look at them and, and view just like where they're, I guess, where they're coming from, you know, right. from that sense. Like, uh, you know, leaving, that, leaving it aside from, you know, whatever, what have you. Because I, I did think it was interesting, like, how often, like, he was unable to see how, kind of um he didn't he personally the general commander who kind of is the focus for it he never connected his stances to race at all like mm -hmm. he thought it was like absurd to like mention race and what he was advocating for um but it was really interesting in the ways that like he was never able to see that like his prejudices and biases played into how his potentially like um his in essence like neutral stance how it like affected that to where it's like yo that's not neutral like it is absolutely guided by prejudices or biases sure. or you know things that aren't familiar but corinne like as a as a black woman have you thought about joining a <laughs> right-wing militia uh to defend um, uh all scientists you know i have not oh um, okay but um, glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so I guess I have a couple of thoughts on this. So I think there's a difference between the population that is ready for the zombie apocalypse <laughs> when there's nothing but roaches here versus that. Because I feel like that, the whole right wing thing is like a, or the militia, I feel like they're more not ready for, I don't know, when the government and the flying saucers, I feel like they're a vulnerable population. Like, I feel like they would also be likely to join ISIS because I feel like maybe they could be convinced to mm. do anything because whatever their situation is. So I think there's a fine line. I think 
And I think that's maybe why they said that, that it's more, that it's sort of that same thing that may want you to join something, some terrorist organization. So mm. I think it's probably a vulnerable population. And, mm. I, and I think the one thought I had was when I did watch it, under so me understanding their mindset doesn't necessarily mean I agree with this. So I just want to make that super sure. clear. Um, but I will say, like, I this is how fascism takes hold, is that you give a group of scared people a need or a place that they can place blame. Yeah. And then you give them a uniform to wear and you give them dignity, which they don't have. Yeah. And you give them purpose, which they don't have. Right. And then you tell them now what to do with all those things. Now you have control over them. Right. And so th there is absolutely a form of brainwashing that's, that is going on. And any logical kind of n not fear grip person would walk into that scenario and be like, y'all are crazy. Like this is, there's, there's no military in the world that would, that would invade the United States of America. So which then leads to the, the logical conclusion that you're actually not afraid of like Russia invading us. Right. You're actually afraid of your own government. And that's where I do like on some level think like we don't know everything that our government does. Right. And that scares me, but not to the same in the same way that it scares them. But they are, but to your point, it leads them to then listen to someone who is also acting out of fear without in, like actual intelligence. Yeah. From the military standpoint of intelligence, and and then yeah. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this, Amina. But I, I also want to add real fast that Political ran a ran a an article talking about really kind of delving into like how militias ended up becoming this almost private police force for white supremacist groups. Um, Cause what you'd see oftentimes when you look at those like really harrowing, like uh, showings of Charlottesville rallies is you would see the people with the tiki torches and white and, you know, Hitler youthish walking around or whatever. But then you would also see very armed, like in fatigued, the groups that these three percenter type groups mm -hmm. that, that was the center of this vice doc um, and you would see them. And so there was a, oftentimes, even I think like uh, the mayor or the governor, when talking about the, the calamity and, and tragedy that happened in Charlottesville, he was kind of talking about how like that militia group that was protecting th uh, the white supremacists was more armed than the police force in some ways there or whatever. And so, uh, but this political article kind of talked about like how that kind of kinship happened and it's, they, they delve into like, you know, well, you know, at the time it was like, you know, they're, they were concerned about Barack Hussein Obama and like what was going on there. And then it moved to all these concerns about black lives matter. Right. Um, but essentially black lives matter has been relatively even though con consistently espousing like, hey, we're nonviolent, we just are strongly advocating, you know, for uh, justice with regard to the judicial system and police brutality, yada, yada, yada. Um, Black Lives Matter has been relatively quiet in the um, public demonstration front of like, you know, it's not Ferguson, what we saw maybe about a year or two years ago. Um, and though, and so what they ended up kind of, what the political article ends up latching onto is that Antifa became this like focus mm. because Antifa was violent. Antifa would be in your face. Antifa would be like, hey, you know, Antifa's model is always like, hey, if you have a chance to stop Hitler before Hitler becomes Hitler, you do whatever you got to do 
to stop Hitler. Like that's, you know, their stance, whether you agree with that or not. Um, and to be fair to both sides of it, Southern Poverty Law Center has recently classified Antifa as a terrorist group as well, too, or as a domestic terrorist wow. group as well, too. Um, but it's interesting because I bring this up because, Dan, when you mention how fascism is born, um, you hear both sides talk and you're like, you guys are saying you are advocating against the same thing. Like you guys both are like concerned about governmental control and the way in which uh, a uh, the desires and the wishes of a small few rich inoculated people end up like and you know removing the freedoms and liberties of the general populace and you guys are both willing to do extreme things to see that that does not happen but you guys are on very different sides of that spectrum and it's just it's it's interesting the way that that has played out but Amina when you hear all of this having not seen the doc having not known that we were going to talk about this what you got <laughs> wow no. well um well i think my experience like I, I just i didn't grow up around guns mm. at all mm -hmm. and i never held a gun in my hand until i was in my 30s mm. when a really 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 close friend of mine wanted to go to the gun range for her birthday and i was like what <laughs> but i love you girl so we going right but it was just like weirdly triggering for me in some way no pun intended mm -hmm. um in that like i i didn't like the feeling of it at all like it didn't make me feel um empowered or safer or anything it just i i didn't dig it i just mm -hmm. did it for her you know so i think when it comes to guns and gun rights i'm always like right on for people who who want to bear arms like i don't i don't i guess i don't feel the other way about it either that i'm like no one should have guns right. i'm just like not me. Yeah. They make me feel strange. <laughs> but if it's your thing, right. rock on, you know? But I think I've always found it really interesting when we talk about the right to bear arms, how a lot of the groups who are championing that tend to be all white mm. or predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought like, especially as like we're watching all these cases of police brutality and we're watching different things happen in cities and neighborhoods where maybe you could look at some of those scenarios and say, well, if this person had taken up their right to bear arms, maybe they could have protected themselves, right? But you never really hear those groups helping other people mm -hmm. that aren't white yeah. to bear arms. Because I would right. think like in the era of Black Lives Matter, if that's what this is really all about, right. wouldn't you start going into the black community <laughs> right. and being like, hey, everybody, let's bear arms. Right. And even in the case that the Black Panthers were known for walking around, you know, with their weapons, right? right? And like, I still know a lot of people, you know, whenever Black Panthers come up, like they don't like that image right. of the Black Panthers having carried those guns, but they also believe that they have a right to bear arms to protect their families yeah. so i always thought the 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 unspoken racial dynamics there i always found really fascinating that the idea of the black panthers walking around who were actually offering free breakfast and you know <laughs> yeah, all these community yeah. programs etc uh were demonized for the fact that they were carrying weapons to protect for their sure. community but we should have the right to bear arms in other places so i always found those tensions a little 
interesting or uh, wondering what nice was underneath all that. Yeah. It's it's hypocritical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at its very core. The minute we start bearing arms, it's going to be all the gun control laws. But when you get gun control, black people just start registering your weapons if you want gun control. <laughs> That's, That's the way. That, I mean, honestly, honestly, that is, it's a great point. I mean, there there are like a there there are uh more so i won't say a lot but there are more so uh more than gets publicized a lot of growingly increasingly vocal black gun rights groups mm. that um are being shown there's like uh there's a dude who's like his whole thing is literally like going into the hood and teaching responsible gun ownership safe like how you handle a gun blah 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 and like trying to get these people trying to get not these people specifically black people concealed weapons like licensing concealed carry license and things like that um and it's fascinating because like he he's doing this because much like the black panthers like took our constitution and the amendments at face value and said like hey we have a right to this so we should uh we should um take this right up like we should do this but at the same time, he, you know, when pressed, he's also very vocal about like, yeah, as I go to hood to hood around the nation, I can see the laws that have been rigged in ways to disproportionately affect uh, black and brown people. And so it, it, it plays into this way in which you're like, yeah, like gun control is meant to be gun control for a certain segments of the population, right. uh, the way the laws are, are written in, in, in certain ways, because you know you you press a lot of um you know you press a lot of like hard vocal conservatives who rant against you know obama taking guns and their first pivot is always to chicago and they're like well we would love if your gun control could happen and it's like oh so you want it in sections like you believe certain you believe inner cities should have gun control but sure you know we're all but even aside from that um you know i do think that like uh, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating when you when we watch the documentary w- when you watch the documentary, uh, because just to tie it again to the end, like there were these connections to like domestic terrorism and like these you know this um, mm-hmm. violence that occurred in Charlottesville, and what I thought was kind of fascinating is that 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 commander I wish I knew his name because he had like three other names too. It was like holy war commander no. like there the was there was, no. yeah, <laughs> was because, <it>? because the <laughs> right, right. Right. is that a thing because yeah no because it was really fascinating because he's like talking and and he's the other thing about the group is that they're very explicitly christian like that's something they make a point to talk about is that they are christian and that unlike Islam, unlike, you know, I don't even think they name any other religion. Unlike Islam, I think one of the quotes is like, I can't remember any, I've never heard of any Christian uh, forcing someone to take their religion at gun or knife point yeah, or something to like that. What? Their religion at but, America? At gun point. <laughs> yo, what? yo, it's, it's just, it's interesting. Like, you know, there's this dissonance. But what I found fascinating is that they, they're not they, historians. Right, right. What I found interesting is that, the, you know, it all didn't, all of the coverage didn't take place out on this, 
uh, reserve place where they were running these field drills, field training drills. It shows him in the city of downtown McDonough and it shows him talking about, well, you know, my job is a paralegal. Wow. So by the day, like in the during the day, like he's a paralegal and they make a very big point to talk about how, hey, we all come from all varied walks of life. You know, we have bankers and accountants and lawyers and then we have people who are mechanics and like all of these very things. And so it also plays into this other idea in which you constantly, I think, as um, either as a person of color or just as a person from maybe a disadvantaged group uh, or just from a group that is not being seemingly advocated for by this group, you are constantly reminded that like, yeah, these people are in your day to day life like they right. are not right. They might go out to these areas and do these drills, but they are in your day-to-day life. Yep. They work at your banks, at your grocery stores, at your fire departments, on your police force. They do all of these things, and it's just kind of interesting when you kind of understand people's uh, viewpoints. I don't, you know, you know, I'm sure people might argue that like that, that's compartmentalized. That perhaps they don't let one thing bleed into the other, and that they still perform their duties and their jobs with. Um, you know, equality. I don't know. It's just, it's, it is something that makes you stop and pause, you know? So for sure. And I think we'd be remiss to not talk about a little bit about gun control. And I think as someone who, who does own guns, I, I will I'll be the first to say like, we need much stronger gun control. Um, the ability, especially in the state of Georgia, you should know your own gun control laws, but in the state of Georgia, it's far too easy to get a weapon. It's far too easy to show your ID, um, then run a, a, a very quick background check, and then you can walk out with a weapon. Um, but I do think that um, with, with smarter gun control, and, and honestly, I think getting rid of open carry um, in every state across the country, unless you're a police officer, is, is extremely smart and just holding it. So Georgia has a castle law which basically boils down to you can, without a permit, without a concealed carry permit, you can have your weapon in your house and in your car and then, and so those are the only two places that you can have a weapon. Because it's the extension of, of your, your home. home. Right. Um, and I think that that is, you know, you can then take it to a gun range. You can, um, you know, practice with your weapon, which you should, but at the same time, I think there should be like on top of that very strict laws that if you break that, um, that there are heavy consequences um, because I think it, that checks the box as far as your ability to protect your family, mm-hmm. protect your your belongings, mm-hmm. and it and it could, could potentially minimize and raise red flags with anyone carrying weapons outside of that. Yeah, I think though you know I I always think it's interesting because even when you were first talking, you mentioned about how like we should all be more educated on guns just as a part of the mm-hmm. populace, right? And um, and I do think that's, I think there's like merit in that. I, I honestly do. Uh, um, my, my brother is really heavy into like, I'm gonna protect my home. Like I, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. But what I, you know, but one of the comparisons you made is just like, hey, I don't know how to, I don't have a car that is stick, but I know how to drive stick, you mm-hmm. know, in the event that that happens. And it's always gets fascinating because I do think it like the, the level of regulation we have around driving a car that we don't with regards to guns. Right. It's just, it's really bizarre. Like, mm-hmm. like, and both of them, 
both of them can be used as weapons but one is designed to be a weapon sure Mm. and it's just and it's bizarre that like we that one is the one that it's like hey if you're want to buy this at a trade show no one has to run a a health check on you or there's no waiting period and you can just go in and walk out with it it's it's i don't know it's just it's it's crazy there's definitely incredible gaps in the gun control laws in this country mm-hmm. now I, i'm not going to swing to the other extreme where it's where the uk where it's it's nearly impossible to right. own a weapon i honestly feel like we're past that like i don't even think we could do it if we right you know what i'm saying sure. like too far I, gone now. yeah i honestly feel like and i don't know what that means like i've often wondered like what's in the dna of america like that makes us and, and like, too, we I can't do what we can't do what Britain and France It would be too does. much to de-escalate. Yeah. It would be too, like, because I think I would be one that's all for de-escalating the situation. Whereas, like, if you wanted to join the, na- like, I think that there's, like, right ways to do militia. The National Guard is a, is a government subsidized militia. If you actually believe and want to right. have training to, like, protect your state and, from invasion that's what actually like the national guard is um and so you know i've had i've had these conversations with with white people as they've kind of thrown out these things and it's like especially what i take you know i have a problem with in that documentary is that um the majority of the men shown actually didn't serve and so in the military and so and they want to take on this identity of of protecting america and protecting their families and in reality they are doing that in the cheapest way possible yeah um and so i think there's obviously a lot of problems with it and i think this country needs to wake up and 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 do a better job of policing those who own guns but at the same time i do think that there is this mystique about owning guns where a lot of people are scared of them my wife being one of them Mm -hmm. and they're they if if you know how to use them in a lot of situations, the the fear that drives you instead of being able to think through and de-escalate a situation where someone does have a gun, mm-hmm. if you understand like what what someone can and can't do with that gun, mm-hmm. changes the way that you potentially approach that situation. Gotcha. Um, and so I do think that there is merit in those things. Well, you know, uh, it's. Yeah, I think that if we'll probably uh, maybe on the on the uh, fourth district page for this, we'll post a link to the doc so that people can check it out. I do think that like, you know, when you watch it, one of the things I thought was just like, man, uh, these are the most out of shape people trying to protect anything (laughs) like the 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 amount amount of nicotine and beer and alcohol like they literally cannot help anybody outside of the automatic weapon that they They need that pt every day absolutely Absolutely. so yeah man but uh you know i think that uh you know, there's really no. We should probably get into one of the reasons why you're here, Amina Brown, which is uh, what I'm holding right now, which is a book that you have written. Yes. Uh, that is coming out November seventh. November seventh. Yeah. Uh, it is coming out on Zondervan. Yeah. Like a real publisher and like <laughs> all of that. Yes, the publisher of the Bible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The Bible. Yeah. You and Basically. Jesus are on yeah. the same label. It's like, <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> 
yes. Yeah. About to go goes to website updates bio. <laughs> yes. What yes. I love is that you are a Christian, but you also you don't to to Corinne's point, you you don't have like as your editor uh, Jesus of Nazareth listed. You know like what? like that's like this is not an opportunity. This is not a Tyler Perry play where you just like executive produced by Yeshua. Like Man, I was waiting to like break out to that gospel song right in the middle. <laughs> you know what God has to say. You know what God. So you you have this book that is coming out November seventh. It's called How to Fix a Broken Record: Thoughts on Vinyl Records awkward relationships and learning to be myself uh so i had just finished the book probably like like 30 40 minutes before we started recording <laughs> like i had i had been reading it like just enjoyable and i was like oh i'm i'm like once you once we landed on oh you're gonna be coming in for this i was like okay let me finish this like hurry up <laughs> good work this good out. job yeah, absolutely <laughs> but um but man i'm so i'm so happy and so like proud of you like it, it's like so just for the people like this is not your first book this, no this, this is not my first book this is my second book it is your second book my first book is called breaking old rhythms mm -hmm. answering the call of a creative god which someone was like do you like broken things do you like <laughs> right. music like what's, the gospel? <laughs> what's the theme there and i was like i do like broken things yeah. and i be broke sometimes Word. and i like music so uh, that's how that. all that all of that all of that <laughs> but man um this this has come out like i said i got uh i got an actual like email from like a publicist about it like yes like i remember the first book mm -hmm. and it was like yo uh i'm doing this book yes. by my lonesome <laughs> <laughs> and here it is and whatever but like this is super official um i'm gonna read a little ch a little part of this if that's all right with you okay. uh from the introduction it's like uh, if you're hoping to find some thoughts here about fixing a figuratively broken record, like seeing someone I think is attractive makes me act unattractively awkward, or someone told me once I'll never be smart enough to fill in the blank with dream here, and you find yourself leaning against the wall at all the parties, refusing to dance, scrolling Facebook, and seeing your friend's dreams become reality while you pull your comfort zone up to your neck and criticize them, then we've got a lot to talk about. The stories here are all true, but some of the names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty, and some of the names have been left the same for comedic value. As you and I pull up our old records out of the sleeves, as you take a listen to the rhythm of where you are and examine the metronome of the alt-kilter beats that led you here, be kind to yourself. Sometimes the things in your past are not kind, and sometimes the way you view yourself or your actions isn't kind either. You and I will both bring our record, broken records here. The lies and sentence fragments that shatter growth, progress, loving and being loved. You and I will discover that we never had the power to fix our broken records in the first place. But there is someone who doesn't just fix them. In fact, Jesus heals. God makes beautiful music that he is always recording for you and me. Melodies of grace and rhythms of mercy, lyrics that he paints into the miles, smiles of strangers. You have lies you need to give up. And Jesus has everlasting truth to give you. So put the needle to your record. Put on your headphones, listen to the rhythm God is putting down and watch God make whole what's broken. Is it awkward when someone reads your words in front of you? I'm actually like a little upset right now, like questioning my audiobook after hearing a Shut. God being read it. <laughs> Shut I was your like, entire face. I was like, why he using better rhythms than me reading this? Anyway. <laughs> but, I was like, I don't hope I don't hear any bootleg versions of my audio. He's selling it on the barbershop. Read by Adon Bionet. <laughs> on the streets. 
<laughs> hey, like, remind me to get on that right after this. <laughs> Come be like, in the barbershop like, I got that broken records. I'll be like, for what? Fire Don Bean. Absolutely. No, man. But no, I, I was so taken with this. Like, as someone who's known you for years, like, we met in college, but, like, just have having seen your growth and throughout the changes, like, this book, um, talk to us a little bit about, like, the, first the layout of the book because it's it's not just straightforward like chapter verse chapter like chapter thing like you have it broken up into sections based around records yes yes okay so but when i kind of felt like i was gonna write a book i was trying to think about the form and the form actually came to me before the book itself so I was reading um, Issa Rae's Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl and Tina Fey's Bossy Pants and Amy Poehler's Yes, Please and Mindy Kaling's Everything, both of her books. <laughs> and I loved how as comedic writers, they were able to take on a topic with some shorter essays and lists of things. And there was all these different ways to me that they played with the form of writing a book that made it a really enjoyable read to me. So I knew I wanted to use that form. And then I waited a long time to figure (laughs) out what the book idea was going to be. And actually two other books um, later in the process really informed this book. And one was Questlove's Mo Meta Blues. Absolutely. And just... I mean, he's obviously one of our great, you know, music historians, really. His brain is this archive of all the things music. But to read how he wrote about the music in this autobiographical way and how the different albums informed his journey as a kid and then his journey and his career. And I also read another book. I'll have to find the author for y'all. But I remember the title of it was Love is a Mixtape. And it was written by a journalist writing about how writing the love story of his wife who actually died suddenly of an aneurysm. Wow. And he told the story each chapter based upon a mixtape. They Rob Sheffield. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Rob Sheffield. I actually was really mad. That book was so good that I was like, why I didn't think about this title and metaphor. Dang it, Rob, you know? (laughs) But that was a part of why I wanted to include, obviously, the figurative broken records, but I wanted to include some actual albums in this book and how they sort of informed the topics of dating and loving and being yourself and finding (laughs) home and some of that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you touch on everything from whether it's Kanye West or India Ari to Solange <laughs> yeah. to Fred Hammond. Like yeah. there's a bunch of bunch of records here that kind of inform these topics. And like you said, the topics themselves are about yourself. You know, they're about yourself, but it's also about these various stages of your life. Right. So it's, you know, love and be yourself. It's dating. It's prior to meeting your husband, who is a DJ. Let us mention again, DJ Obdiggy. Yes. Uh, marriage. Um, talks about adult. You have a very interesting way in which you talk about like, salvation and faith Mm -hmm. and that that whole piece but like you know what i found most compelling as i was reading it is that like i felt like man this is this is amina's like voice like having known you i read the other book but like i felt like this is like really you did you feel that way when you were writing i did i did i think i think i walked into this book very determined to be myself yeah. So it was either like be myself or we're not going to write a book. I'm not I'm not going to write a book because it's time to write a book or because that seems like a cool like career thing to do. Like I want to have something to say and I want to say it in my actual voice. 
So in part, uh, right now, leading up to the book releasing, that's very vulnerable because right. <laughs> now now it's like, you know, well, if people don't like the way the book's written or, you know, people wish it had this or had that. And now it's like, no, they just don't like you because that book <laughs> right. is basically you. Right. So either they, they dig you <laughs> or they don't, you know, but I think that made it more fun. Right. And I think it put less pressure on me because I didn't feel like I had to write a book like fill in the blank with author name right there. I could just say what Amina wanted to say and right. let that say what the book was supposed to be. Yeah. And the other thing I, I want to say is like a lot of people would kind of know you uh, kind of know you more as just like um, as really most people might experience you first with your uh, poetry. Honestly, like you like I mentioned before, like spoken word, you've kind of traveled all over, been a part of very large conferences, uh, you know, been members of slam teams, been, you've been out here. Okay. In these, <laughs> in these streets. streets. And, uh, uh, but you know, but you find yourself, uh, writing prose form, right? Like you, you, you know, as an author and how do you find that process in terms of like, is it an easy thing to transit to, to shift to rather, or do you, or is there certain ways in which like you approach poetry in this manner and then you can find yourself as well doing prose as well too like i guess do you understand that part of the question is that like yeah which way was it an easy shift for you to do that i think in part the and the fun i think the fun part about it was it was taking me back a little bit to my you know journalism roots which uh back in the day in in our other lives uh, don bean and i used to like cover shows together and uh, basically use our blogs and stuff to get into concerts free um you do a lot of that things when you broke back in our old days we still do that <laughs> <laughs> be like right. i really need to get this interview with common let me get a pass <laughs> into this yeah. show you know <laughs> so i think in part even getting a chance to review some of those albums like it just went back to that part of my roots for me going back mm -hmm. to what I loved about journalism writing so I think that was a part of it and I think um I think the other thing is like I think book writing I can't say one's easier than the other I although I would say almost book writing is harder to me than writing poems but you have a little more control over book writing than you do poems for me. Yeah. Like when I'm writing a poem, it's like I might have an idea in my mind of what I want it to be, but I could sit, I could tell myself in my schedule, I'm going to sit down for five hours and write this poem and five hours pass and you have two lines and you're right. just suffering and you feel sad about yourself. Yeah. But with a book, you can say, I'm going to write a thousand words today. And even if those thousand words are really crappy, there's something. Right. So the next day you can go back and edit them, whereas poems sort of, at least my style of poetry, it's like building on this rhythm of itself. And, you know, so I can't really outline, whereas here I could go, I've got to tell this story. Yeah. Like, what's the stuff about the story that needs to be here? I kind of had more of a guide in book yeah. writing. So I think the transition was easy, but it was the process was very different for the two. Yeah. Uh, and another question I just had, I was thinking of like, so when you do that, when you talk about that idea of writing in this way, you had an editor for this because this is a, like a real official book. Like you had like, <laughs> <laughs> I keep coming back to this like this is you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you had an you had an editor who uh, I'm assuming uh, just having a little understanding about how editors work. Like you had to show 
that you were writing and yeah. you would be submitting pages for yeah. review and chapters for review and uh like talk to us about that idea because the other book did you have a writer for that i might just be making a, an assumption i did i had an editor okay i had a great editor actually for my first book but the process was different in the sense that like i sat down and wrote the whole first draft right okay. and then i'm like sending that over to my editor which was that process was more nerve wracking I yeah. think because you sat in a room by yourself yeah. and wrote that whole draft and now you're like I think this <laughs> sucks and I don't know if it's hitting the mark right. and I was just like all the tears <laughs> so with this uh, book project I actually had a writing coach was the first mm. level of editing mm -hmm. and at first uh, when the publisher was like suggesting that to me I was like oh, oh I don't Oh, I don't need a writing coach, girl. Um, I do this. You know, I've been reading since I was four years old. I'd be knowing words. Like, I don't really need, you know, this. Yeah. And then my my uh, literary agent was, like, trying to explain to me before, like, I was about to get, like, really ignorant. He was trying to explain to me, like, hey, like, a writing coach. It's not like that. It's not, they're not saying, like, you can't write, you know. Writing coach is more like a project manager for your right, book almost. Yeah. So she and I really worked very closely on the first draft of really forming what the book was going to be. So she was more the person that was like, okay, what's your schedule for the next two weeks? It was like a personal trainer for your book. Gotcha. And I was like, okay, I'm traveling Wednesday through Saturday and then I'll be home Monday through Friday. And she'd be like, okay, I'd like to see, you know, section this, this, these chapters by next uh, Friday. Gotcha. And I'd be like, oh, okay, girl. And then like if Monday would come. She'd be like, hey, still looking for those chapters. And there's like a part of like the arrogant artist in you that's like, oh, girl, you don't check up on me. Right. I'll get the chapters to you when I feel. All right. <laughs> right. I'll go to my room and write. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it. I think it just it the idea of having a project manager for creative events. Like oftentimes it's not thought that you need. um you know, administrating like an administrator behind yeah. this, what's thought to be this kind of glamorous, amorphous, not without form uh, or without form uh, creativity. And it's like, no, you need boundaries and parameters and deadlines and, yeah. you know, progress reports and update. Like, you need all of that if you're trying to get these things done. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, I definitely, I have another question. I, I definitely passed uh, the book around just because I wanted everyone to take a look at it. But my, my, my other thought that the other question I had is just as a, you do a lot of poetry, uh, you do poetry in the scene and in the community and you travel in that way. You do a lot of slams, but then you, you do a bulk in like faith-based environments as well too. And, and, you know, conferences and conventions and churches and wherever, um, with that being said, like, how did being kind of you find yourself as well in majority white spaces a lot of times, yeah. like as a black woman, like uh, uh, what are some challenges? Perhaps I don't want to, like, put that on you, but what are some challenges that you experienced uh, kind of having that identity in those spaces? And then how did that inform some of the work that we see here in the book in terms of like, um, one, helping you find your voice, but then two, like some of these very real stories, because I, I don't want to give too much away, but there it, it really does cover a lot of your life in here. And so um, did that have any bearing on what we see here, I guess, in the book? Wow, that's a really good question. I mean, in certain ways, Yes, I think almost in in that Toni Morrison quote of wanting to write something that I wanted to read. 
Right. I think uh, in a lot of the environments where I am, particularly in faith-based environments, it's like there's sort of a certain, there are certain slots, I guess, event-wise and in the market, so to speak, that are like acceptable slots. Okay. Like if you're a musician or a band and you make worship music, then it's like your slot's acceptable. Yeah. And if you're a speaker and you preach, that slot's acceptable. Then it's like all the stuff that's in between is where like all these questions come up like, is that acceptable? Yeah. What do we do with that? Is God in that? You know, all those questions. So I do think a part of me being in those, a lot of very conservative environments made me say, you know, when people do come up to me and the, the people I talk with the most at the merch table and after the events over, like, what's the stuff that those people tend to be looking for? Yeah. And I know that they were obviously sometimes looking for things that I'm looking for too. It's like, I want to talk about faith, but I also want to talk about life. And I want to talk about what it's like to go through a breakup. And I want to, I want to talk about all those things and not assume that, that my, you know, worship of God is supposed to be this escape place that sort of takes me away from justice Mm -hmm. that takes me away from uh, social ills in society that takes me away from like my stuff as a human being that if I truly am saying I want to live this life that you know exemplifies who Jesus is then then why wouldn't I sort of unfold all of that yeah in life so I think I was hoping to write something that I really wanted to read you know like I find myself very drawn to things that are able to embrace some divinity and some humanity too, and not assume that just focusing on the divinity means we don't look at our humanity and see God there as well, you know? Wow. Yeah. Super true, man. Like, I know I'm probably, I'm the only one here who's gotten the opportunity to read this book that comes out November 7th. November 7th. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) I think, real quick, I think that's super amazing. Um, I, I, I applaud you for just the effort to kind of uh, what's the way to say this? Like kind of like stem the gap in the way of um, I feel like we're not okay with gray in this day and age, and we're yeah. not okay with like process in this day and age. And our you know the heroes, our writers, our musicians. Especially in the Christian space, or and always in the Christian space, actually, because I think it, generally the rest of the world's fairly okay with it. But in the Christian space, we talk about things after the fact. Mm-hmm. We talk about things like once we are, despite our belief that grace is momentary and you can come as you are, we most of us are heroes. And when even on this show, when we talk about things, it's like things that have happened in the past and we hide the things that are currently in process. And mm-hmm. so writing a book that seems like such in process and such almost stream of thought, but written so beautifully from just the excerpt that Adon read, uh, it, it, it does kind of evoke just such real emotion and ability to be honest with oneself. Um, and so I think as a writer to allow the reader to give them the license to be honest with themselves yeah, is not something that's is rare in the Christian space for sure. Um, and so applaud you for that. And, and just, I can't wait to read it. What is, what's, what do you hope, you know, you close the final chapter. Um, and I'm always curious, like, what do you hope the reader kind of, what's the thought that they carry with them, uh, after reading your book? 
I hope that they had fun reading it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on. I hope it's a fun read. Yeah. I hope they're I hope, you know, like when you get like when I got to the end of Breaking Bad, you know, right. It was like satisfying ending. Like <laughs> yeah. I didn't need to have everybody's plot lines wrapped up. Right. But I felt satisfied at the end. Right. So I, I hope that in an entertaining way for the reader. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they feel hopeful. I think a lot of times when we look at our broken families or like our broken stuff, you know, and ourselves, we're just like, man, what in the world am I gonna how am I gonna ever love or how am I ever gonna like really do what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing in the world? Like how's God ever gonna look at me and like see anything good? And I hope that readers leave the book going like I can have hope even in my like broken stuff mm. you know? yeah. yeah that's so good I can say I'm really excited to read it so November 7th I'm gonna so everyone get out your credit cards and yes. your do it right now your bitcoin EBT whatever to bring up bitcoins today we need to have an episode about bitcoin yes all cryptocurrency but yeah so I'm really excited to read it and even hearing that I like feel like you know, something I could relate to in thumbing through it, seeing things about natural hair and being awkward. And <laughs> so I feel like I can relate to it. So I'm very excited. To yes. Where can they get it? Uh, you can go to AminaBrown.com and you can pre-order the book there. You can also pre-order the book wherever you like to pre-order books because it's all over those places. But if you pre-order before November 7, you will be entered to win a record player. Whoa. So you got to go right to AminaBrown.com pre-order is, do, going there is and o picking out this record player because i yep. trust him you know he had a hand a you know he had to have a hand in it and make sure everything was proper like <laughs> all right so he's giving like, his hope stamp yeah approval. yes hope hope stamp of approval on yes. that and also a record you're gonna get a record and a record player whoever oh. enters you could win this thing so Yo, pre-order that is what's up that's super we will dope. post for sure her website on fourth district in the comment section whether you're on itunes or soundcloud it'll be there absolutely dope. And also want to mention that you are running like an audio series, like a podcast right now around yes. the book. Like uh, where can people go to hear that? Uh, Cause you're like on episode. I'm on episode I've two, two. Okay. Yeah. Right now. So it's mm. coming out every Tuesday. Okay. So this is very exciting. So there are seven sections of the book. So each section gets an episode nice. and then there was an intro. There's a rumor that Adon Bean's going to show up what? in Come one on. of these huh? episodes. So that's huh? one. And there's a whole episode covering the soundtracks. Oh, nice. um, so, yes, that is available on Apple where you can get your podcast there. And also for my Android people, it's on Google Play. So check it out people. there. It's fun. My up. grandma's my first interview. You don't want to miss Yo. her because she's like amazing. Your grandma, Bert, is <laughs> fantastic. Like I would just, yes, go and listen to that episode or whatever. And um, definitely follow that order pre-order see if you can get this record player and this record um but like i said i literally just finished it um probably like an hour before starting recording and i just i was reading another book beforehand and when i got this in the mail i was like oh let me just let me just kind of open it up a little bit and then i found myself 40 pages in i was like oh i gotta see how this ends (laughs) it's very much a fun read and enjoyable And uh, man, I just thank you for your honesty, being so transparent, but being so uh, uh, witty and charismatic and funny and and um, insightful and all the things that I've come to know you to be. So thanks so much, Amina. Appreciate that, man. uh, Just there's no real way to transition out of this other than to just say men are terrible. Wow. And uh, for this last topic, we want to talk about. (laughs) Talk about burying the lead. That's that's a way. That's a way. 
<laughs> kind of moving from a, from an amazing woman to terrible men. Uh, man, so uh, most recently CNN had posted uh, this list that covered, um, man, just it's been 20 days since the sexual assault allegations against media mogul Harvey Weinstein exploded into the public view. And there have been new allegations that have been made uh, to, towards him, but then also to just a whole host of people. And it got us really just thinking about like that as pervasive as this is. And, um, you know, if you'd been under a rock or whatever, you saw like Harvey Weinstein, um, who was like this kind of head of his uh film house or whatever which was responsible for amazing movies and just had done so much uh and you know dan you could even weigh in on on all of that like it's just a perennial oscar best picture like it always weinstein always had a bullet in the chamber trying to cover up for him yeah i mean as terrible as it sounds it was like he was the golden goose that like yeah he was like people wanted to work for regardless of how terrible of a person he was so it's come out that there's been like like donald trump wow well 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 when we're talking about the topics of sexual assault and allegation it all falls in line but yes uh harvey weinstein has had more than 40 uh accusers uh women who have written uh have talked about it it all kind of bubbled up in this new york times story that was published um detailing some of these accusations of sexual harassment um, and I mean, like, again, some of like some of the women we might not have heard of as actors and actresses, but some of them are people that are mainstays at this point, you know, whether that be uh, Ashley Judd or um, or I think Gwyneth Paltrow had had a story about, you know, things like that. Um, it recently came out. Oh, not recently came out. She wrote an op ed piece, uh, Lapita Nyong'o. Uh, talked about how she had to manage this situation and and it was really this kind of it just told us so much about like what like ways that uh, as a man told me so much I'm not going to act like other people didn't other people didn't know this but for me it was kind of illuminating in terms of like way women have to negotiate their safety in very unsafe spaces and like ways in which that you don't even think that like they uh women are thinking of like okay um i can't get around this like i need this situation for my dated like for my livelihood but the only way i can manage it is if i you know it's it's just a lot of very different parts of it and moving parts and it was it's really heartbreaking um when you think about it but not to rest at Harvey Weinstein, uh, and it came out that James Toback, who was a Hollywood screenwriter and director behind films like Pickup Artist, The Gambler, Bugsy, he has been charged. Like more than two hundred women have come forward about him. Uh, ben Affleck, uh, kind of one of the more visible cases. Uh, he had an accuser. Uh, actually, we saw this harassment on air uh, from MTV TRL. Um, it was an actress, Hillary Burton, and, um, he, you know, Affleck like gropes her during the, an appearance on the show that she was co-hosting. Um, he apologized for this, uh, via Twitter, but it's, it's just, man, from there to, I wasn't even aware George H.W. Bush, uh, has an accuser with a, a woman, uh, 
41st president of the United States apologized to an actress after she wrote a now deleted Instagram post in which Bush sexually assaulted her while she posed for a picture with him. Her name is Heather Lynn said Bush touched her inappropriately from behind twice and told her a dirty joke like um, to television people like uh, Chris Savino who was um, creator of the Loud House on Nickelodeon animated show over a dozen women had accused him Um, Roy Price head of Amazon Studios quit five days after being put on leave uh, after a producer accused him of sexual harassment to uh, Lockhart Steele who's the editorial director of Vox Media was fired most recently because he admitted to engaging in conduct that was inconsistent with the core values and um, you know uh, and then you move to what we talked about even pre-show John Besh a uh, celebrity chef stepped down from the company he founded after about two dozen current and former female employees accused him and other male workers of sexual harassment. The thing is that this and, you know, we'd mentioned Donald Trump thing is this goes across the spectrum of liberal, conservative, you know, rural, urban. Like, it's just it's like the only through line you have is men with any semblance of power and sometimes without power. And it just, um, it was just, it was just kind of like, I've run out of adjectives to describe it, but um, I wanted to at least talk about it because um, I don't think it gets discussed often enough. Um, And I will say this, it doesn't get discussed often enough among like, uh, like honestly faith and church based or, or just people who are Christian, like you see the world kind of forced to have these conversations in ways, but like it's, it's almost, it almost is like viewed as like, Oh, well, yes, that's bad, but we don't have to discuss it type thing. That's not our problem. Yeah. That's not the problem we have when it's like, it's very much the problem we have. Like, I don't know, man. And then, you know, even you mentioned this, Dan, like the me too, um, kind of hashtag that, that kind of came out that, just showed kind of the pervasiveness of this problem. Like, I don't really have anywhere to go or navigate. It just was like, yo, this is crazy. This is where yeah. I shut up and asked the ladies that we finally have in the room to give us their, their so now we know why we're right, right. <laughs> yeah, speak for all ladies. Speak for all ladies. Man, I just speak for all alt right earlier. So, come on, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess when you all saw any of these stories or saw this, I mean, that you know does it ring true if not even for your personal experience from like other women that you know or just stories or just even just observing like the way in which like even if it even if the situation or circumstances aren't similar to something you've experienced i i imagine that both people you know corinne like you work uh for you work as a data scientist um there's a lot of coverage that you can even maybe speak to uh, more more confidently than I, but talk about like kind of one ratios with regard to like male, female, like gender in science or in scientists, uh, in data sciences and STEM and things like that. Do you find yourself uh, in these positions where it's like, okay, I have to be very aware of my surroundings, if not like at your job, but like just on your day-to-day life, you know? And even with you, Amina, you travel often. Uh, a lot of times you you and your husband are traveling together, but then sometimes y'all are not together. And like, 
just what what is this what what's it like i guess um yeah so i guess if you follow me on twitter i was a me too hashtagger um yeah like throughout i guess i didn't know i guess how pervasive it was but it's definitely something that happened to me even as a child um then in high school um and then you know after college um different situations of varying some very extreme bad mm-hmm. obviously children you know mm-hmm. um and so i guess it was i guess therapeutic in a way to hear other people talking about it yeah. because it's particularly the thing that happened as a child it's almost like easier for me to talk about it than it is for other people to hear mm-hmm. wow. um wow. because it just they because i guess i've been sitting with it but people can't handle it mm-hmm. so it was very therapeutic in some way um but for me it even kind of it was hard to even reconcile like even small things as abuse you know Mm. it even took me to an adult to realize that some of the things that weren't okay um yeah so it's yeah it's um but i it was good to hear kind of other people talk about it and when you talk about data science yeah like the ratio is very small so you do have to kind of be be very be very careful especially when i travel go to conferences Mm -hmm. i will jokingly you know see how long it takes for me to find the first woman and find the first black person to find a black woman it's like a unicorn (laughs) or you know and so it is different the only good time that ratio is helpful is when the bathroom lines are really short (laughs) but other than that yeah Yeah. so it's definitely something you have to work through and i'm glad that um we had this opportunity where people felt comfortable talking about it because then i guess i felt maybe validated like i don't have to be shamed because for yeah because when well it took me a while i guess working through therapy realizing that it's not that i should be ashamed it's just that it can be painful for people that I love to hear about it, you know, right. um, and that I don't need to take that on myself as shame, but it was very, it was kind of, I guess, therapeutic in a way. Mm. Yeah. I think um, for me, although I am a me too, it was too triggering for me to post it. And I'm, I'm in another Facebook group of women and one of the women moderating, she put up a post the day that like the me too hashtag really, you know, was trending. And she put up a post and like listed all the things she was doing that day, like the wine she was drinking and like what she was eating and being with her dog. And she was like, these are all the things I'm doing because I cannot bring myself to post this, you know, which I guess in a way me sharing it here is a me too. And maybe I articulate, I feel like I articulate myself better when I'm talking Mm. and I actually try to post like two or three times and I could not figure out even like how to put my words around that. And so I think um, even those that had to give themselves permission. Like that was one of the things she's, this moderator said in our group, she was like, if you're like me, if you're feeling like me today, you don't have to, you don't have to me too. Mm -hmm. Even if you are, you can give yourself that permission also. Um, And so that was like a really powerful moment for me because I felt like, man, I owe it to all these women who are like going through this and been through this like me, you know, to try to say something and I could not articulate myself. And so that was like, that happened to be my self care. Um, at the moment. And I've thought about all these layers as to what you said, Corinne, about even how like certain things are being done or said to you. And like 
not always interpreting those things as having crossed a boundary. And I'm like, what is that? And I feel like for me anyway, it's this uh, strange cocktail of Southern upbringing as a woman that when a man um, stops and tries to like holla at you or almost cat calls you in a way that uh, that a Southern lady turns and says, thank you, mm. you know, because yeah. you don't want that man to then turn around if you're like, I, well, I don't feel like smiling and mm. I don't care about whatever these things are you're saying. You don't want to turn around and be called out of your name for it or whatever. So I think that added to the cocktail. I think church upbringing and some of the ways that like we were explicitly or implicitly being told how it how it was to carry yourself as a godly woman like that added to the cocktail of what are what are the boundaries as to what a man says that is a compliment and like what a man says that like crossed a boundary with you and i almost don't know if I knew for a long time that like, just because a man says something to you about how you look or whatever that is, that like, that's not always a compliment that that's not always a compliment Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always deserve this. Thank you, you know, for thinking I'm pretty, even though the way that you said it to me, like made me feel weird and strange, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there is this weird cocktail sometimes that's happening in us as women that makes it more challenging for us to to speak about that or even in the moment as far as when it's a verbal you know situation to be able to say like no sir no no i'm not here for you having this conversation with me that a lot of times i would get home or sometimes it'd be years later like you described corinne that i'm like um that didn't make me feel good and the fact that it didn't make me feel good makes it not okay so i do think that that was like this interesting layer of it to me. I think the other thing that I find interesting is I always have a stat in my mind that out of, I think it's one out of every four women in their entire life will be assaulted, will be sexually assaulted at some point. I always have that stat in my mind. And a friend of mine posted something where she was like, why don't we have that stat the other way? Because in the case that that, that the person, the assaulter, I guess, if that's the word, Um, or the predator in that case, if that is a man, not always, mm-hmm. but in, in a lot of cases is a man, then why don't we turn that stat and go one in every four men right. has assaulted a woman, right. has sexually harassed a woman. And if we turned that stat in these rooms, like where you work, Corinne, and different places where we are, where it's predominantly men, if you said that out loud to that room of men and they've got to look around and go, hmm, if there are 20 of us in here, how many out of that 20 actually assaulted a woman, harassed a woman? And I I would love to see some of the the stats and the onus Mm -hmm. turn, not to just be on those of us who are survivors, but on those who have inflicted the pain itself, on those who have done the wrongdoing, you know? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you said about how we're conditioned. Like, I remember one time, one of the, I don't know why it's, but like always, like often at the Marta station, someone will say, smile for me. Because when I'm, that's the only time where I'm not working and I'm just thinking and processing things and coming up with ideas. So no, I'm not smiling, I'm thinking, it's my thinking face. And so when they say smile for me, I would always smile like, crap, 
I didn't. It's like a reflex. It was like so when I finally like glared back, I was so proud of myself. And it's like we're so conditioned. I don't know. Like you said, upbringing is like maybe even a submissive thing. Like, yeah. and even when I want to tell, thinking about some of the things that happened, tell my story. One um, story I'm not even sure if I want to tell because I'm like, oh well, he's married and he has a family now, and and I'm like, why would I? I feel like I almost need to protect. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Still, yeah. I think that was a, a little part of my feeling like apprehensive on sharing too, because I remember being a journalist and being sexually harassed by a man that I had to interview. And he's still somebody that a lot of people know, you know? So if I post this, will he see it? Will he be like, but I didn't mean that girl but I was just trying to see if we were going to go to dinner girl. And like, I remember I had to go to a location to interview him and he was trying to coax me to stay the night there. And I literally had to drive out of the way. I remember I drove like two and a half hours out of the way to stay at my cousin's house for the night, just to make sure I didn't wake up with him, like standing over my bed, you know? And like those types of things that as women, we're processing that all the time. Like I'm, I'm leaving the grocery store. I'm processing if my keys are in my hand mm-hmm. when I'm walking to my car. Can I see everything? If I'm on a call, do I need to hang up? Any man, any man, I don't care what size he is. I don't care how old he is, how young he is. Any man that's walking towards me, is he going to hurt me? Those are thoughts as women we're processing so quickly that I don't even know if I acknowledge all the time those thoughts mm-hmm. are going through my head, you know? Yeah. Um, wow, yeah. I think there was a a, a post by um, a woman by name Sarah Hartshorn who made the quote. It, it went viral, but it was just, you know, fun sexual assault fact. Um, you only hear the stories we can bear to tell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about that often just because it's, it's like even with that the me too hashtag which was was very prominent and of course i saw people post it that was like oh my god i didn't i didn't know or i didn't you know um and it made me check things it made me think like wow like it is so pervasive and then but realizing like that is a fragment of people who uh have chose to tell their story but they don't owe me that story mm-hmm. right. either like no one has to tell me that like yeah like it's it's that it's that thing of like um you know you see it play out oftentimes in race dynamics sometimes or like where it's just like you know dominant culture or you know a white person be like oh well like tell me what went wrong or tell me how to fix it like look i don't i don't have to do this like it if i do you know cool and good and I hope that you do something with it, but you know, I'm not owed that as, as, or you're not owed that rather, um, as someone. And so like, that was the other thing is realizing like people, women who might not have shared, shared this, like, as you said, in your case, Amina, like, um, you know, you don't have to give (laughs) that over to anyone. Um, and the, uh, the other thought that I had, of course, you know, I completely agree. Like that idea of just kind of switching the narrative and putting the onus on, uh, the men about this, uh, the boys as well. Cause a lot of times, like, I mean, it's happening so early, you know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's been posts that, uh, dear, uh, 
female friends of mine have made where they're just like where they're talking to other women essentially saying like hey can you you know for the women out there when did you first feel like sexualized like when did you feel you know that and like you read the the comments and it's like great like they're you know they're like oh i i realized i hit puberty when my uncle was this way you know or 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 they'll think about things about like how they'll think about like uh they'll say like i never knew why my mom or my dad would not let me stay with my cousins in the because they're like they knew things that they just would never shared them like yeah this person does this and it just it, it's it's so mind-boggling and people you know walking home from school or or various things like that and uh and finally i i wanted to bring this out is is just that i don't know how you all felt about this but over time because the me too hashtag kind of exploded and then kind of went on for a few days yeah um what also kind of happened towards the tail end of it is not tail end but just somewhere in that process is you there were there were certain segments of people who of men who well-meaning i'm using air quote i mean not even air quotes like well-meaning but the the hashtag itself kind of got taken over a little bit by men who wanted to be honest about their sexual assault or things that they did that they wanted to apologize for publicly like acknowledge that they had done this in their past but use the hashtag me too and it and then it centered it on like the men mm-hmm. in ways and i i don't know how i feel about that i think there is some value to that but then i also i don't i don't want to to be practicing like erasure in a way of like this was something that women were using to kind of confide yeah and open up and and share and like much like uh people with uh heightened visibility do unknowingly you know take over that spotlight sometimes and so i i've heard i've heard feedback from some women who thought that hey it's kind of um i won't say triggering but it is kind of like uh uh I don't want to read about right. men right. talking about what they did, even if they're not, they're clearly not like glorying in it or like sure. reveling in it, but uh, kind of even those, the changes, the change in that kind of struck people in, in real ways. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a lot. <clears throat> On that though, like, I think, you know, reading it, reading the Me Too's from women, like it, one, just overwhelmed me with the amount uh, that you know, you just have no clue. I I did not realize how pervasive it was, um, and then it forced you to start. It's like for me, one like now being a father of a son, yeah. to be like, like yeah. you talk about the statistics. Like, well, you know, there's three boys next door. One boy he that lives here currently. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you know, how are we as dads preparing our sons um, with? And not fading away because my dad is an amazing man, uh, but he did not prepare me well for the for that season of life. And I can v- very much remember, like, like with friends giving girls nicknames that they knew of, 
that was like now that's like there's just so much of the in that gray area that you as you see how pervasive it was and you and you read some of these stories you're like I know now as an adult as a like as a post middle school high school adult like oh that is so wrong mm -hmm. but so much of the culture that you live in this bubble and 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 so, and I think a lot of dads take their hands off the wheel at that point in time and they say and they're like well that was my time to be boys and to mm. do these things mm. and and I'm not in any way trying to take over the conversation but simply to say I think we as dads it, it is on it is on the men it is on the boys who are the um assailants mm. they are the the predators they are broken um, and I think, uh, to label them as those things is not to like say anything wrong, but I think, but I do think that a lot of the responsibility, especially in the, in, in the younger years is on dads to mm. say like, Hey, like you are about to deal with something that literally, um, you need bumpers to deal with and I'm going to help you like walk this road. And I, just to weigh in on that too, I would, I would say similarly, like my I love my dad. My dad, there were certain things that he was amazing and above and mm -hmm. beyond with. And then there's other areas where it was like, yo, like you left me to fend for myself mm -hmm. here. Like, you know, um, but I but I think that also plays into it. Like that plays into another interesting narrative. Like there's this there's kind of like, uh, you know, specifically on black Twitter, I will I will localize it to black Twitter. <laughs> um, it is a whole different thing. It is on the same platform, but it's a whole different thing. Uh, but black Twitter has a very uh, notable phrase that gets passed around a lot of times in largely feminist circles, but it'll just be like men are trash, right? It'll be like men are trash, right? And uh, there will be a knee jerk reaction to be like, you know, to cape up, wave the flag, not all men, right? Like not us, you know, not, not everybody, whatever. But what I do find fascinating about like the, re the attempted rebuttal to that is that when you dig into like, conversations about like if you're you know when it comes time for parenthood right and fatherhood mm -hmm. and it's just like the warnings you get about having a daughter and all the problems that a daughter will be like everything that you're told like oh they're too much work or you gotta whatever you're gonna protect her you ready for this but it's all these things right like how a woman quote is too much work i'm using air quotes uh for those who can't see because it's a podcast <laughs> but uh but uh but like oh with a man with a boy it's easy da da da, da. and it's like yeah that's kind of what feeds into this idea yeah. that you can be hands off with a son that it'll just be all right but with a girl you gotta like be like protective and then it's like why do you have to be protective why because men are trash wow. that's the other side of the equation wow. the reason why you're having the reason why you feel like women are girls are like so much trouble is because you know dudes are trash and mm -hmm. do a bunch of trash behavior and so you feel like you have to protect it and and it just all plays into this same narrative but i feel like there's this dissonance between it where we don't see the connection mm -hmm. in our society in our culture in the way that we discuss these things and um and i, I agree man like it, it is something where fathers and not just fathers, but as an uncle, like I got a nephew mm -hmm. yeah. who's five, six, like, you know, people in my neighborhood, like boys, like that I just encounter, like whatever it is, like we've got to get into this village mentality where it's like, look, like even if 
even if this isn't my son, like I can't have you out here disrespecting well, anybody. I, and I was going to say too, I think, I think that's what makes teaching boys and young men about consent right. makes that so important mm-hmm. because if we're teaching boys and young men about consent, I think it's particularly in church settings, right? We spent most of our time talking to girls about how low their shirts were or how short their skirts were. We spent time doing that, talking about modesty and those things. Don't tempt the boys. Listen, because modesty or not is not necessarily going to save you from being assaulted, to be completely honest. Plenty of people have been assaulted wearing almost potato sack clothing. That's not what's important. And we may may spend a little time talking to boys about porn, Mm -hmm. right? But we're not talking to boys and young men about consent, about what consent means. Because to me, the center of consent is saying a woman's body never belongs to you. You are only a part of viewing her body, of seeing her body, of experiencing her body as she says, yes, she would like for you to do that. And if we were teaching boys and young men about consent on its most basic level, even before we get to sex, consent mm. to touch your shoulder, consent to hold your hand, consent to give you a kiss. Like, you know, we used to think of those things as like, that's some old school chivalry, like, mm. you know, may I kiss you? But yeah, you should be asking the question because our bodies don't belong to you. Yeah, right. Our bodies belong to us. And I think if that was this like pervasive lesson that we were teaching to boys and men, that would shift a lot that would change rape culture totally and i think too for that to happen dads especially i think need to you know there's this like moment where i feel like when they find out their son is is pushing the envelope you know or pursuing a woman and i'll say that in the nicest terms possible it's like there's a relief of like oh my son is a man is like Mm. on the way to being a man there's this like rite of passage that I feel like is so jacked up and is so screwed up, but I think is very ingrained in our culture that it's like when a boy starts to like notice a woman and go after that woman, that now he's becoming a man and we can celebrate that. Um, But I think we do that by like literally handing these boys like gasoline and being like, just, you know, start a fire yeah. and we, we, we don't lay down the ground rules of, of, of how to engage in a proper way and, and how to be chivalrous. Um, and, and to understand like, you know, th- that is a human, um, that is, you know, not yours to just claim and be had. And, and I, I'll be the first to admit like growing up, like, you know, every girl in our school was like, who has her? Mm. who who and it, it was they it was like were items to be passed around mm. um because we cared about sports and we cared about who, you know who was paying attention to us gotcha and yeah. that was it and like i look back on that culture and it's like man it's hard and you and, and, and after seeing a lot of facebook posts from girls from our high school and from middle school it was like damn like yeah i may have not been the one doing something but i was absolutely complicit in those things mm-hmm yeah it's same i mean it's one of those things where like you're i mean i yeah same in the sense that like absolutely like i'm a product of uh that culture and yeah. and, and and like to realize like yeah i'm i'm 
I was a knowingly or unknowingly like I was a member. I've been a member of rape culture and understanding like all of this has fed into like from TV to music to entertainment to like day to day conversations to understanding about like man. And I grew up in a household where only like I only had a mother like I never had a sister. I didn't. And like it comes to that point when you have to realize like, hey, like people, everyone is a person. They have their own agency. And along with that, you know, and I agree that like fatherhood plays a role in it. But I do think also that if you if you do value women as fully human beings, as with their own thoughts and ideas and minds that are as valid and as um, uh, significant and worthwhile to pay attention to, then then you can also listen to it doesn't require a man telling you this for you to get it you know like it can also be like yo i just i've heard someone and i i agree and so um i don't know any any last thoughts about it all um just passing it around i don't know not yeah well definitely weigh in hit us up on uh twitter and uh on uh uh, our facebook page or whatever Mm -hmm. if you guys just want to weigh in on any of the topics whether that be uh, if you are a member of a right wing militia or if you've written a book well, called How to Fix a Broken Record 2. Uh, wait that- a second. Also, <laughs> selling in the salon right now. Got that bootleg. <laughs> or if you just have any thoughts about, uh, you know, about just the sexual harassment, sexual assault, just the overwhelming thoughts of it. And then just honestly thoughts and solutions and ways in which you see that, you know, you can impact your your local community, but then also like ways that um, we as a whole, we can do better. I think that I know that we can, you know, I know that like even as mm. even even as fourth district, we talk about this. We talk about not necessarily like harassment and that being the issue here, but just more like how are we creating a welcoming space for everyone? You know what I mean? And it has been, uh, you know, we have had ups and downs of it being so much of a like a boys club in terms of the way that we've discussed uh kind of building out this platform but um but you know we we've heard feedback as well about just different uh ways that we can kind of introduce um uh spaces for uh women black women women of color uh all types of people to just kind of have light and 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 so we want to continue to do that continue to have that conversation but well, definitely one talk day to we'll us. convince amina to come back and and for oh yeah real, for real for oh real. yeah we're twisting arms here yeah for real and uh and we'll it. see what happens yeah yeah, um, yeah and one what my one last thing i want to add mm-hmm. birth of the nation got slammed for all of the of the like assault and the accusations that were made when that movie came out I challenge anyone that stood up and said there's so there's wrong here. There was potentially mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein. He has three movies coming out. Do not be a hypocrite and slam birth of a nation without following up and saying where, where else is this happening? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, Oh, there's a lot. Cause we didn't even talk about the R Kelly crazy situation. Oh, yeah. Like, because there's yeah. And how, and Along with that, oh man, there's a whole other parts of this, but, and the whole thing about like, Harvey Weinstein was like hella quiet, like contrite. I'm going to take, <laughs> right. I'm going to take all of yeah. this. Media. You're right. I shouldn't have been touching people. I'm about to go. Shouldn't have been like propositioning them for sex. I'm terrible. I'm wrong. I'm going to go to sex therapy. 
And then like the moment a black woman, Lapita Nyong'o shows up and is like, yo, I'm going to tell my story about when Mm -hmm. you tried to do this to me. He somehow breaks out of like a media silence from therapy to weigh in and be like, I have a different recollection of those events. You didn't have any issue with the other 40 plus women who said something. But the moment the black girl says, well, you did this to me, too. Then all of a sudden you got to raise a hand. And, and it, who trusted your recollections? Fam. I mean, who trusted your recollections fam. at this point, bro? Fam. No one. But it's, yeah, but I, I brought that up just because also in light of the R. Kelly situation is that uh, the Chicago Sun-Times reporter at the time, Jim Derogatis, who's kind of been on this kind of really crusade to like make people really understand the heinousness of what Robert Kelly has done throughout the years you know, he had said very openly, and he and he quotes Mark Neal. Uh, I can't remember the dude; he's a professor from like Duke or something. But he says he quotes like, "Look, man, the only reason R. Kelly is able to do this with such impunity is because it's black girls that man. he's been doing this to. <laughs> man, man, get let him do this to one white girl, and it's done. Like the reason why this is happening is because it is uh, our most." Uh, uh, unprotected, as Malcolm X had said, uh, most um, I can't remember what the term Malcolm X used to describe, but just essentially the one under the most assault uh, black women. And so anyway, yes, to your point about people who had such a righteous stand against uh, uh, Nate Parker and yeah. those crimes and uh, or those alleged things and and I was one of them. Came out. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. was absolutely one of them. And right. so that's a hundred percent coming from me being like, okay, yeah, like I, um, I mean, half of Harvey Weinstein's movies are movies that I've studied and pulled apart, and I, I mean, I, I won't ever watch them again. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's nuts in a world with uh, Woody Allen. oh yeah and they asked Woody Allen what he thought about it I was like you are the last person I (laughs) do not want to hear from a child molester why should you be talking and he was like I hope it's not a witch hunt I was like first of all Woody Allen sit down here's my steak all seats (laughs) they asked him I was so angry yeah Yeah. that was one thing that made me mad and then another guy published an article about how women need to come out and tell their stories and stuff like that. Really? And then someone else said, like, we don't have a rape culture. Hollywood has the problem. Like, that makes me tired. So, yeah. There's so, so just much, a lot of yeah, ways that yeah. it has been handled terribly. Poorly, yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. Lots of broken records that we can fix oh, with a, oh, a nice my, book. November I see how 7. we turn that transition. Look at that. <laughs> Taking Dan on the tour. Dan's going to be like, you ran out of gas. That's actually a broken record, too. What you need in your life. Got a book for you. <laughs> I see you're filling up your gas tank. <laughs> for every situation. We can be your street team. Yo, I feel like oh ready. Man. I'm ready. Absolutely. Oh, and give me some free That'd swag. Be so awesome. I'm so in. Yo, I definitely want to have one of those like bad boy circa 2002 like locks signs that just yes. I can just hang out outside, like, just wave them up yes. in the air and just be yep. like, Mita Brown, holla at it. <laughs> yep. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> um, but yeah, yo, we're at that point. Uh, we're going to wrap up. We're at that point of our scratch of the week where we talk about, uh, you know, things that we just want to shout out, bring attention to, bring livelihood, bring everyone's eyes to two um i don't know if anybody's ready with theirs uh i got one. Oh, te- i'm ready do You're your ready. thing that's what's up I'm ready. let us know amina brown um 
my my scratch of the week yes. is a Philadelphia hoagie. Oh. <laughs> I want to oh, send snap. a special shout out to you hoagies <laughs> if you're listening. I really appreciate you doing what you do with um, the meats <laughs> and then like the tomatoes and the pickles. It's the, a perfect texture combination of you, Hoagie. And I'm really glad that you exist. I went to Philly. I had the Hoagie in Philly. I will never eat a Hoagie outside of the Philadelphia <laughs> Metroplex. Absolutely. Um, I had a cheesesteak and I still choose you, Hoagie. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I've never had one of these said hoagies before. I tell you, bro, you need this. Man, <laughs> you need man. this, and your, it's gonna change you. Yeah. All right, it's gonna change All right. you. In a way. I need, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Next time I'm in Philly. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, Amina, Obdiggy, myself, we were, we were out in, out in Philly. Uh, shout out to the homie Tim, Timothy What's Welbeck. Up, Tim? Uh, put out a record, and 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 Temple University brought yeah. us up there to yeah. do, do shout stuff. Yeah, shout out to Temple. That's what's yeah. up. Appreciate that. But yes, the hoagie. Shout out Thank to you, the Hoagies. Do you want to shout out the establishment, particularly where it was? Um, I don't remember the name okay. of the establishment. Heaven? Okay. But it was heaven, though. But okay. it was heaven. I will shout out Max's because that's where okay. I got the cheesesteaks, mm. which okay. were also amazing. I'm not I'm not shading the Philly cheesesteak. I'm telling you the cheesesteak is amazing. I'm telling you the hoagie was even better than the cheesesteak. But Max's was this amazing place where, like, you hesitating when you go to order because you don't want to be playing around. When yeah. you get up there, you want to be like, let me. I was like, let me get uh, mayo <laughs> and mushrooms. Um whatever you say yeah i don't know and they had like the loud frankie beverly <laughs> playing in the cd like it was so loud you had to yell at the person next to you wow. and you ain't gonna say nothing to nobody you're gonna eat your food there it and is sing it was good so thank you maxis <laughs> but mostly hoagies thank but you hoagies. <laughs> that's what's up fair enough um man i can hop in with mine and uh uh i will shout out i was thinking of a couple things to shout out but um but i will shout out I will shout out that most recently um, it was said that uh, Queen Latifah is out in these streets uh, talking about how a living single return. Hey, <gasps> don't do this. Is don't in do this. the Yay. works. She is she is quietly huh. working to reestablish some things. And apparently it's not a definite. It's not confirmed. There's no home for it. But. Essence definitely talked about how like they, um, you know, on on the news of what watch what happens live that they're actually working on trying to bring back a living single. You was bobbing to the to the theme song, weren't you, Corinne? Yeah, I saw you. Come yeah. on. Come in the 90s kind of world. Keep your head up. What? It was so, Queen Latifah was so hard on that rap about girlfriends. It was just amazing. Yeah, It was yeah. so okay. sweet and like threatening. Man. It, and then some years I had to like sneak to watch it because my parents didn't let me watch anything that was entertaining. Oh, no. <laughs> So like, the, I guess I wasn't old enough the first few seasons, so I had to like, you know, I need to go back and watch that yeah. thing. I mean, Regine, yeah. and you know, everyone yeah. always says I look just like Max. Uh, everyone Shaw, always says Adelaide. it. Yeah. So, wow. Shout out to Erica Alexander, maybe my cousin, or maybe we had the same daddy. Let's talk about Erica. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, living single. If for whatever reason you are not familiar with this show, uh, think Friends before Friends. Wow, and, uh, before because, Friends because literally, like they're. NBC talked about how like they kind of looked at uh, Living Single as some bit mm. of an uh, inspiration a little bit. Columbus. And, uh, <laughs> Columbus. <laughs> Gentrified. <laughs> but, uh, 
But yeah, so I, I definitely want to shout that out, and uh, and and also just my low key shout out would be like Robert Gilliam. Uh, oh or, yeah. Um, he um he passed, man, and like uh you know if you're not familiar, uh, I grew up like seeing the show Benson as a kid and being like, yo, this dude is so cool, and he ended up. I mean, he just been a part of so many iconic like. Uh, roles, man. He was he was in Lean on Me. He was uh, he was on Sports Night. He was he was on a lot of Lion things. King. Lion King. Lion King. Did he do yeah. Phantom of the Opera? Am I making yeah, that? Yeah, he was the first Phantom black of the Opera. Phantom yes. of the Opera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on, just Robert. incredible, mm-hmm. incredible life career. Um, and he's one of those people who like always seem the same age. Like I don't know what he looked like as a teenager he was 45 his whole life <laughs> pretty much pretty Thank much you, yeah, Corinne, because that. i was trying to figure out how old was yeah i love 45. the specificity it was like of a it. little bit of salt and pepper <laughs> right always. right right you knew always. he wasn't he like, was like three years old with that salt and pepper. real yeah. talk real talk so yeah anyway i did like a two for one but yeah that's that's my shout out so what you got corin um, I'm gonna do two for one. Yeah. So my first one is a shout out to the real world militia group that I actually <laughs> encountered. Okay, quick story. <laughs> so I was like, wait a second. So story time. Buried the lead for so real. So what happened was okay, so it's a weird thing. I don't know why. So my mom was going somewhere to some conference with, with some lady from church that she was kind of friends with. You know, she was a good friend. Some with, lady, some conference. Kind of friends with. <laughs> I was kind of friends with no, at some conference. Well, no, okay. she would consider herself a good friend, but I think that lady was not a good friend to her because uh, she was messy. She, okay. <laughs> we don't need that. She apologized like decades later. Super messy lady. But anyway, so... Whenever they went off to do no, it was time to do whatever they were doing for Jesus. I'm not sure. There's some lady, some church, some mission. Oh, I know details. Yes, I have. I know names. I know the church. It has changed names a couple of times, but I can tell you where it is. It's on Jonesboro Road. <laughs> no, no. So if your church Jones on Jonesboro Road, is. you get blasted right now. But anyway, they were going for Jesus. I think yeah, it was a conference, and so whenever they went off, they would usually stay with. You know, all the kids would stay with my dad mm. because he's normal. Um, but I guess she was feeling, you know, some kind of way as messy people do. <laughs> <laughs> so she wanted, why can't you stay with my husband? Well, he's a nut. But my mom decided, you know, she's a really nice person. So she's like, okay, I guess we can go over there and fend for ourselves. Because my dad, you know, he makes the pancakes the size of the pan and, you Come know, on. all the good stuff. And then takes this places we go to six flags like fun times yeah can i there? come right yes. yeah, well, i, I put your dad to watch me now yeah he'll come in your house and fix all your stuff yeah. and you know but anyway so we go over there and i got chicken had chicken box too i don't know that's not really related to the story but <laughs> sorry all important well they did the whole breeding thing i didn't get it first but you know back in the day in the dark ages where you're like if your sister gets <laughs> chicken pox they want you to get it you know where they're like wow. Come on, <laughs> should dark this be ages. legal wow. but anyway so wow. they made me get infected from my brother or sister whoever brought that trifling stuff home <laughs> so anyway so we go down there and I guess he didn't really feed us and he thought it would be fun to take us out, have his sons who were also crazy, 
to get us lost in the trailer park in Palmetto. Nope. If you guys know how That'll Palmetto no. was Mm-mm. in, I don't know what year it was. I don't know. 1987 plus seven, whatever. <laughs> we were there. And so get us. He said that he, we went wanted to go, but he really told them to get us lost in the woods. So we ended up. Yeah. So this is when the story gets less funny. But anyway, there was some kind of we got lost and then there was some kind of, you know, Confederate guys no, trucks what? and flags and oh. with is it, guns is, it, is this yeah. guy w- white of course oh. <laughs> yeah yeah oh. so that is what yeah so that's wow but the thing is i couldn't even process it like i wasn't scared of oh i guess it was scary but i didn't know it was dangerous <laughs> no i didn't know it was dangerous because i'd never seen anything mm. like that was probably the most white people that i've ever seen you know because i lived and you in saw Gr- them in such an unfortunate but scenario. i didn't no but the thing is only in flashbacks to understand i was like okay then i saw the confederate flags like you know what i'm saying i saw it all but i didn't process it till later mm. like what was actually happening right. but i just saw what was happening mm. i just was most scared that we were lost and we couldn't find their trailer and then Later on, when I fully processed it, is when they had that story where that happened to the kids at the birthday party. Where oh. so it was like oh. the scene was similar, yeah. and I was like, when I talked to my dad, I was like, that was a crime, probably. <laughs> a row. Yeah. Bless. So yeah. So shout out to I do I have names but I'm not gonna right. I'm gonna okay. gonna right. protect the Wait, guilty you, on that. you were gonna do a shout out just now and yeah. I just want to know what what is the end of the shout out oh, shout out to the militia okay no you I hope you're reformed <laughs> no I have a good one though so I read um, a story. Um, so Harvard switching gears to something scientific. So um, so I guess you guys know I'm a data scientist in healthcare. So I'm really interested in how we leverage large data sets to improve healthcare. And one thing that I've been working with a lot, um, thinking about recently is genomics, right? How you look at small changes in the DNA and how they correlate to certain diseases or how your cancer respond to certain drugs and stuff like that. Mm. So on the flip side, um, I do data, but folks who are actually doing experiments, um, they um, also look at how you can alter DNA. So there was a big breakthrough at Harvard where before, in order to change um, change parts of the DNA, you would have to like um, sort of cut and split. They kind of find a way to almost uh, like kind of almost erase it and pencil it. it. Yeah. Mm. So that you don't have to cut um, the sequence to change of the expressions so you can sort of change um one of the letters and without having to cut um, it you can just like write it or something. all of us are gonna nod and smile right now we know like what you just said but it sounds cool <laughs> yeah i i want to submit corinne that i think from now on when you share yeah. your when you share these scientific yeah. moments with us yeah i think we need like a sample of what jay-z used to say before beyonce <laughs> would sing in her songs like how jay was always like you ready b yeah yeah. You know, like he always said, like I feel like we need this a sample a of bumper Jay. that needs to happen. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like be talk yo. Like yeah, he would right. say those things. <laughs> right. Like we need that right Something. before you say this because yeah. I was like so excited. I didn't really understand yeah. everything, but I was real excited. Yeah. I thought the militia would give you that hype, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of shoutouts. <laughs> Oh, man. But I'll work 
work out that way. Yeah, no, but you did. That's good. That's the shout outs and this scientific mom. I'm here for everything. I just love that we we covered like like I don't know like trailer park militias and like Harvard like like all literally in two different yeah yeah it's just yeah I mean you're a real one. No, it's my. I have ADHD. Definitely a real one. No, for real. I'm here for it. Yeah. So I like even my whole like half my family actually has ADD. So we go from one topic to the other we'll actually have multiple conversations simultaneously but we all know who we're talking to and you're smart and enough it to all hang. works yeah that's because that, that really doesn't not the smart happen. enough part is <laughs> right where, yes oh. your iqs can process all of that because i would die <laughs> if i tried to do yeah, that yeah some people is actually exhausting <laughs> yeah. but yeah i do you don't say it. yeah sorry oh and shout out to my therapist to help me. <laughs> Always the shout ultimate. out to the therapist. Yo, the therapist is oh always the OG, son. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, Dan I'm gonna, Duncan, take uh, us home. Yeah. Um, I'm going to shout out uh, the new podcast on Fort District. Read a book, which we may mm. have a new book to be that could be on there. But right now, they're reading uh, Divided by Faith. That's dope. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a super dope podcast in the sense that challenge you to read gives you a community that you can, can be like bouncing ideas off of nice. uh and weekly accountability sean little is the host of it, it is and he's with working with a a hip-hop artist oh, out of oklahoma city called jb G- yeah 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 mm-hmm. we definitely featured uh him on some new music stuff and got to connect with him like three or four years ago me show prop and uh jb at um we did a cipher at like five two nine like okay. a little while ago. Cool. But yeah, he's cool. good people. Good people. Yeah, definitely check that out. Definitely check that out. So that's what we got. Please hit us up again. Uh, November seventh. Yes. How to fix a broken record? Amina Brown. Pew pew pew. We trying to get that on the best sellers list. Autograph version. Definitely, yeah. Dan. That it costs more though, it, and like, I will put a note there specifically to you. Well, then I can't sell it, so don't put the note. Uh, <laughs> <it's tricky. laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny how eBay works. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a sad thing when you meet a famous person and you're like, "Can you sign this?" And like, "What's your name?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> but think about it, Dan is a common name, so you're okay. That's well, true. like you're selling to all Dan's <laughs> worldwide. Like, like, <laughs> significantly, if you could just write your name, this would go far better. <laughs> Fantastic. Yo, that's it, y'all. Hit us up uh, so we can ignore you. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. They told me everybody's 15 minutes in a different time zone. And since I have it at the moment, you the one I want to shine my light on. Get your life, get your life.